So Easter is coming up in the next two weeks. Um, yeah, a little bit of a shout there, <laughs> a slight shout. <laughs> Seems like we could do a little better than that. <laughs> but Easter's coming up in a couple of weeks. <laughs> nice. Um, it's two weeks before we'll have a huge celebration here. And um, we'll start out with Good Friday. So there'll be a service here on Good Friday at um, 7 p.m. There'll be kids care from zero to five. And so come on um, for that service, and that'll begin our kind of Easter weekend. And then we'll gather back here on Sunday morning at two services, 9 and 11 a.m., to have our Easter celebration that Jordan and Adrian have done such a wonderful job of helping us to plan and organize. So we'll have Bounce House and Bubbles, and Everett Rosenthal is going to be doing face painting. So make sure to show up for Everett's face painting. And then we'll have a big tent with food, um, lots of different food that will be set out on tables, um, opportunity to see the kids' community ballet, do a couple of performances. And so um, make sure to invite your friends and your neighbors. And it's a beautiful moment for us to communicate to the city why we celebrate and that we're a celebratory people and that resurrection means something to us, that Jesus' life means something to us. So if you know people that you think would enjoy um, a party, who doesn't enjoy a party, invite them to come on. Um, and also, I nearly forgot, I'm glad I wrote it down. If you'd like to sign up to help us, you can help with setting out food or doing decorations um, or helping with kids. After the service on your way up, there's a table there and you can jot your name down and we'd love to have you participate. We're also looking to raise a little bit more money so that the party can be more epic. And so if you'd like to give uh, money, you can do that online. Um, or you can even just drop some money in these silver buckets. That would make it distinct. Um, and that will help us to um, throw a really lovely party. Um, today, um, we find ourselves back in the story of lament. Only two weeks left of lament. Some of you may be happy about that. It's interesting when Johnny and I were talking about doing a series on lament, I was a little overwhelmed. Like, oh, that's quite, those are quite a few weeks of lamenting, Johnny. Um, but to be honest, now that it's, um, we've been doing it, it's begun to feel comforting. Like the longer that we've lingered in this space, I'm like, oh, this is beginning to feel comforting because the reality is, is that our pain and circumstances don't magically disappear after a week. Sometimes we have to sit in the pain of things for a long time. So it's appropriate that as a community we would take on the notion of lament and not just, just skip past it, but that we would linger here together in lament. It's good for us to sit in this space together and it's good for us to practice lament because lament is a very important tool and practice in life circumstances. I have a mentor, she lives in England, she's a 65-year-old feisty single lady, and I love chatting with her. And um, I often call her um, just to get, she's also a teacher and a leader, and so she's been at it way longer than me, and so I always like to just touch base with her and check in with her. We were talking a couple of months ago, and um, she said to me, Heather, when you talk about life with people, it's important to be real about what it means to live life. And she said, if you, Heather, if you're not in a place of uncertainty or confusion or pain or sorrow or anger, it's coming. 
And I was like, oh, great. So encouraging, Sue. And then she said, it's part of being human. And that's exactly right. It's part of being human. So we have to have an understanding. We have to have tools and practices so that we know what to do when we find ourselves in the reality of being human and in those places of uncertainty and pain and sorrow and anger. We need to know what to do. And so practicing lament together is appropriate and needed. It ends up being a gift to ourselves But it's also a gift that we end up being able to give to the world, to to those that are around us. And so before we read Psalm 80 in this um, next Psalm of Lament, let's pray together. Jesus, we acknowledge that um, either our lives or the lives of people that we know have uncertainty and pain and sorrow in them. And we acknowledge that we need... um, the capacity to learn the language of lament so that we are able to be present and sit in our own places and also to be alongside those who are there in pain. Thank you for your word and that you have clearly laid out in your word space for this kind of um, voice and action and we pray that we would become proficient proficient in the language of lament so that we have that gift to give to ourselves and gift to give to the world. So make us attentive today to this psalm, attentive to what you want to speak to us through this psalm and a willingness to move out in the truth of it. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, you can turn to Psalm 80, the Bible in front of you or on a Bible on a screen and there will be the psalm behind me. So let's read it together. Psalm 80. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we might be saved. O Lord, God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it and all that moves in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of the right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. 
Restore us, O Lord, God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. This is another moment in Israel's history. It's not 100%, but it's likely that this is the moment when Assyria took over the northern kingdom. That was prior to the siege of Babylon in Jerusalem, where it just destroyed Jerusalem. So prior to that, there had been this other nation, Assyria, that took over the northern kingdom. And it was a different situation, similar in terms of its intensity and the devastation that was left behind the people of God in the northern kingdom. And here we have the people's lament. Last week was 79, it's Jerusalem. This week it's 80 and it's Assyria. And it's not even chronological because our pain isn't always chronological, right? The things that we experience, the, thing, the stories that we want to tell, we don't always tell them in order. And so the people, they have these laments, these moments where they're just crying out to God and this is another of those moments. It's a different time in their history, but they still need the vocabulary of lament. And here, these words are emotional words, right? Strong words, powerful words, pleading words. And they're dominated by a repeated phrase. It's repeated three times, as, as you heard, as I read it. Verse 3 and verse 7 and verse 19. Restore, O God, let your face shine that we might be saved. And these repeated phrases kind of split the psalm up into three different sections. The section begins and then it's um, punctuated by this phrase, and then the second movement, and it's punctuated by this phrase, and then the third and final one that becomes punctuated by this phrase, it's repeated. And the first section lets us know who they're addressing. Give ear, O shepherd, verses 1 and 2. You who lead Joseph, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim. This identifies the one that they're pleading to, the one that they come and put themselves before as the God of Israel, as the shepherd of Israel. And it's reminiscent of the psalm that we looked at at the beginning of the year, Psalm 23. The shepherd who cares for and protects and guides and seeks the good of Israel. But he's also enthroned. You who are enthroned, so he's powerful. They're calling out to God who is powerful and caring. That's who they address the beginning of this psalm. Then comes the refrain in the second section. Lord, you've been angry with your people. And we've talked why he's angry. There's a reason that God is angry. And his, angry or his anger isn't volatile anger, it's follow-through. God follows through. His word is true. And so, as the people have exploited others who are poor and vulnerable, and as they have chosen their own way and rejected God, he's given them over to that choice, told them that he would do that. So again, it's not volatile anger, it's follow-through. And yet, here they are, they're talking about their tears and their humiliation. And they're pleading with him for mercy. 
And so in many ways, they're relying on God's willingness to turn from his anger, to see their pain and humiliation. The only thing that we're eating is tears. We're devastated. Won't you turn? Won't you do something? And so they, they are calling out to a God who would have compassion towards their pain, who would be gracious and merciful. And then comes the refrain, the repeated verse. Before it moves us into the final section of this lament, and it's this vivid imagery that is painted about a vine. Verse 8, you brought a vine out of Egypt. And what did it do? It filled. This imagery recalls the Exodus, where the people are taken out of captivity in Egypt and they're given a new land, and in that land they flourish. They become rooted and they grow and they're strong and fruitful. And then it all goes sideways, devastatingly so. Turn again, they say in verse 14. O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see us. They need him to turn back towards them. And then they offer a promise, we won't turn away from you. We need you to give us life, verse 18. Give us life so that we can call upon your name. Give us our lives back. Give us our lives back and we'll call upon your name. And they're calling out here to a God who's promised to be with them. Turn again. Turn towards us. See us, won't you? Isn't that what your loyal love has promised us as your people, that you would have your face towards us? Turn again, they say, in their distress. Turn towards us. And when our lives hold us in a place of uncertainty or confusion or pain or sorrow, or maybe it's when a situation never changes, because sometimes we sit in that place for a while, our minds and hearts, if we're honest, ask the same kinds of questions to God. Won't you do something? How long? How long do I have to sit here with this pain, with this uncertainty, with this sorrow? Are you not a God of compassion? Are you not a God of kindness? And in the midst of difficulties and incongruence, these questions come up about God, about ourselves, about the people around us. The same questions that these people ask in their own space of suffering. And we're not silenced. God does not silence us. In the place of unknowing, we're not asked to stuff it or to get over it or to dismiss it. We're invited to the language of lament. To give voice to the complexity to petition God and to ask him for help. And that's what they do. 
That's exactly what they do. They give voice to the complexity, they petition God, and they ask him for help. And they do it on repeat. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. They repeat it because they mean it. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. What do they say? Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we might be saved. The first thing they ask for repeatedly is for restoration. God's care seems to have been removed. He's their shepherd and protector. And it's like he's turned away and forgotten them and they're left humiliated and devastated. They've lost all that they once knew and their stability and their strength and their security is gone. Restore, they ask God. Bring it back. Bring us back. That's what restoration is, to bring things back, to restore them to goodness. And so they say, restore, restore, restore. And then the second thing they say repeatedly is let your face shine. And this is the blessing that they had received from the people out of numbers. We've given you this blessing often. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and give you peace. That's the blessing that was put in the mouth of the priests so that the people would know who they were. The people who have God's face turns toward them, that he is gracious, that he is with them. And so they appeal to the words that have already been spoken over them. Let your face shine. Turn back towards us. Because in the midst of their suffering, they're not experiencing that. It feels instead like God has abandoned them and his absence feels so real. And so they cry out, let your face shine over and over. They cry it out. You who seem distant from our suffering and in your anger have forgotten and abandoned us, come back, come back. They're giving voice to the complexity of their situation and they're calling out to God. And we've been asking ourselves in the last few weeks individually and more broadly when we think about our city or we think about our country or we think about our world, we've been asking ourselves, where do we need restoring? You've asked yourself, where do you need restoring? We've asked ourselves, where do we feel the absence of God? And you've asked yourself, where do you feel the absence of God? And in the quiet moments, we've named these things and the complexity of them. You've called them out loud in this room. You've written them down on cards and placed them on this table. And many of you still hold the questions and you sit in the uncertainty and you feel the pain. And like Israel, we need him to restore. We need him, his presence. Like Israel, we need his presence. 
And we need to give ourselves permission to say that we need it over and over and over and over again. That while you may have vocalized that thing one time or you wrote it down one time, this psalm of lament tells us that we can vocalize it over and over and over and over again. That there's permission to ask to come before God and plead with him. And they tell us why. In the final repetition, like why? That we may be saved. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine upon us. Why? That we may be saved. This repeated declaration is where we orient ourselves when life is bearing down on us. Restore Let your face shine that we may be saved. God's presence with us in these kinds of situations, in this kind of desolation and devastation is our only hope. Israel knew that. Israel declares that. And Israel invites us into that same belief. It's your only hope that you would believe that God's presence with you in the midst of whatever it is that you're sitting in is your only hope. That is where your salvation is. I, um, I have a lot of people in my life who um, sit in places that I would name as very, very difficult. Some things that are unresolvable Some things that because of death, um, the sorrow is something that they'll carry with them their whole lives. Or because of sickness. Sometimes it's temporary. And I have to admit also as a pastor that there are moments where I'm invited into some of the deepest waters that people swim in. And it's an honor and it's a privilege to be there with them. So one time a woman lost her um, child. It's a young infant. And um, it's a sacred space to be invited into moments like that. And I um, was with the grandmother, went home with the grandmother after being at the hospital and sat with her for a long time. And then I go and I get in my car and it is excruciating for me. I've been with them for a long, long time and know that it's time now for me to leave. And as I sit in my car, I'm like, Lord, the only saving grace in this moment is that I know that I do not leave that woman alone in her home. But that your presence is with her. And that the comfort that you can offer her while is tangible and real in me is as tangible and real in her own silence. And in the quiet lament that she will pour out in her bed tonight while she probably doesn't sleep. And that is the only comfort for me. Driving away, leaving this person in that place is the assurance that I know that God's presence is with her. The confidence that I have that his provision will show up for her. 
And the first week after the service, I was leaving and Johnny had spoken about the reality that God's presence is with us in the midst of these painful situations. And I loved this woman's honesty. She said to me, and I said this before, she said, you know what, Heather? It doesn't feel like enough. His presence with us in moments like that, it just, to be honest, it doesn't feel like enough. And that made sense to me. It made sense to me because it doesn't always feel like enough to me either. There are moments where I believe it and I can get a hold of that. And there's moments where it's like, yeah, that doesn't feel like enough. And I think that we have to be thoughtful about the assumptions that we've made about what that actually means. Christ's presence with us in the midst of our pain and our suffering. Often we believe or we've been told that if he does something or his presence is with us, that circumstances will get better or the pain will go away or it won't be hard or that we'll feel successful. And that's not altogether untrue, but when they don't get better or we don't feel successful or we fail, there's a massive disconnect. What does that mean about us? What does that say about us? What does that say about God then? And rather than lament, continue to come repeatedly in honesty before God, like pouring ourselves out before him, we start to do other things. We become a people who try to offer quick answers and solutions. It'll be all right. Hopefully you'll feel better tomorrow. Or we cope. Johnny talked about what he did after his dad died. Rather than being the sad kid or the weird kid, he decided to be the funny kid. So he used humor in order to cope. We used many things to cope. We used food. We used work. We used anxiety. We used alcohol. Rather than feel the pain, we cope. Or we become a people who are locked into shame. Especially when the pain that other people are feeling or we feel is because of things that we've done, behaviors that we've chosen. And we shut down or we work extra hard to prove ourselves. But what we ultimately start to believe is that other people are better off without us. So we become a people who are locked into shame. Or we become a people who choose to ignore pain. I'm British. We have the stiff upper lip. It's basically a pastime of my entire country to be resolute, right? Composed and unemotional in the face of hardship. And we literally as a nation like applaud ourselves for it. Yes, yes. Good job on being composed. Right? Moderation with those emotions. So we stuff them. We deny them. We ignore them. And in so doing, we make that pain invisible, either in ourselves or we erase it in other people. And that pain can then turn to cynicism, sometimes bitterness and resentment. 
because rather than lament, continue to come repeatedly in honesty before God and others, we start to do other things. And we get very good at them. But when we do all of those things, rather than the honest work of lament, we lose our integrity as the people of God. We lose our integrity as the people of Jesus. There are so many people around us that live with uncertainty and confusion and pain. And if it's not you this morning, it may be the person sitting next to you. Or the person sitting in front of you. And you can probably name a person right now that you know in your life that is hurting. Or a population of people. People who experience homelessness or mental illness. Or racism. And in those places, so many people experience what feels like the absence of God. And as God's people here in the text, we've been given a language to voice confusion and to feel deeply and to protest, to protest the horrible things in the world. That's the language we've been given in the text. And these words are shared words by so many people, whether they can utter them or not, whether you can utter them or not. And so lament is the language that we as Jesus people must take up. Missio, we have to keep it up. We may only have one more week left, but we have to become proficient in this language. We have to keep it up. There's a quote that I read as I was looking at this, and it says, all that is ravaged, fed upon, burned and cut down in the world is crying out, for the return of God's presence, for God's countenance to shine once more, and we should be the ones to say so. Restore. I see this situation. Restore. Turn your countenance towards them. Turn your countenance towards it. Restore. Make your presence known. We should be the ones to say that. The people of Jesus. When we refuse to do the honest work of God, I mean, we do the honest work of lament, we lose our integrity as the prophetic people of Jesus in the midst of pain and suffering. When we lament, we lament in solidarity with all who are suffering. And we tenderly point to Christ who is in the midst of it all. Christ. The one who understands pain and suffering. The one who comes close. He doesn't run or hide or deny or silence. Jesus enters into our pain and suffering. He comes into the place where we fail, where our sin is loud, and he says, I am with you. 
That's the story of Easter, what we're about to celebrate. And this table is this picture that Christ is in our midst. And while we hope and we long and we have an expectation of restoration, in the meantime, his promise is that he will be with us. And so as we take up the language of lament, as we are willing to call out and name the things in our midst that are not as they should be, and as we appeal to Christ to be present in those spaces, we do as Christ has done by the power of his spirit and we show up. And we communicate, I am with you. And so we have to continue to come repeatedly in honesty before God on behalf of ourselves, the things that we hold. And we do it on behalf of others, those that are around us. And in so doing, Christ's presence becomes real and tangible by his spirit through our hands and through our feet and in our eyes, but also in quiet moments when he reassures that while there is time in the moment where we wait and expect renewal, that he has not abandoned us, that he sees us, and that he will be gracious to us. And so today on the table, you'll see some cards. You've already written on them, but you may need to write again. Where do we need restoring? In our city, in our country, in our world. Where do you need restoring? Whether it's something that's been done to you or something that you've done to another, where do you need the restoration of Christ in your life? You can write it on the card is your written lament. Where do you need to know his presence? In that place where you felt for a long time that he's only absent. Where in our world do we need to see the presence of God show up? Write it down on this card and put it at this table. And at the end of the day, like, Lament doesn't resolve. And so while I would love to be able to tie something up at the end of this sermon and be like, yeah, and that's, there's a resolve here, there isn't a resolve in lament. But where there is resolve, where there is confidence, is in Christ. That he does not abandon us. That he does not leave us. That the story of Easter that we retell and that we rehearse is because we need to be consistently reminded that he enters into these spaces with us. That he will never abandon us, even in our sin. And that he will call life out of us. Even though it may take time. So your confidence today, Missio, is that you go in the power and presence of Christ, and while that may not resolve the hurt and the pain, 
you go from here not alone, but in the company of Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, it's hard that pain doesn't resolve always. It's hard to be up here and communicate that um, those who sit here may have to sit with their pain a little longer. That they may have to hold their questions into the days ahead. And it does feel easier sometimes to go to the solutions of problem solving or coping. To embody shame or just deny the reality of things. And yet you have given us in your word this language of lament. And it's a language that calls us back to honesty, to transparency, to vulnerability before you and each other. And so I pray that we would be a people that become fluent. So that we become, um, yeah, not just for ourselves sitting here on a Sunday, but that we are able to give voice to things in our city and that we know who we're crying out to. That your presence would be known in places of devastation. That your comfort would be felt. That your goodness would be known. And so we thank you, Jesus, that um, that's your promise. Your promise is to be with us. And I pray today, Jesus, that as we come to this table, that would be tangible and palpable and real. As people drive away in their cars, that that would be tangible and palpable and real. And that in your presence, we would experience restoration. And in your presence, we would experience comfort. And that we would have that to offer to the world around us. Because we're willing to sit and move into people's places of pain with them. So give us courage, give us boldness, and give us grace. In Jesus' name, amen.